Louisa Nicola, thank you so much for coming on the 15-Minute Founder. And I'm already predicting, even though this is the 15-Minute Founder, based on what you do, you help people perform at their peak and build a better brain so you can earn more and do more. This is going to probably go over 15 minutes because I geek out on this. I know there's lots of founders listening, and I do believe anyone has their inner athlete in them too. So thank you so much for coming on. Before I dive into specific questions on what's your morning routine, what are hacks for diet, hacks for productivity, which I'm very eager to do, I want to dive into... When did you know you wanted to be a performance coach? Was there a moment in time when you decided, wow, I like this, this is what I want to do? And how did you get to where you are today? Really good question. So I started off in the medical field as a neurophysiologist, and that's a subspecialty of neurology. So I was working in neurology, literally just doing brain scans after brain scans, picking up on things such as Alzheimer's disease and mild cognitive impairment. You should you know, you probably know that Alzheimer's disease is a very prevalent disease that's happening all over the world. And I was scanning these brains and I thought, imagine if I could scan a brain of a really high performing person, like what would it reveal? And my, um, the attending, the neurologist at the time told me to just keep my head down and focus on what I'm doing. And I ended up scanning a brain of a very high performing man. He was a Oh, he was a, a hedge. He worked at a hedge fund portfolio manager. I think he had around, he had around two hundred fifty million under asset management. Forty nine years old. His brain ended up coming back as a sixty five year old brain, and that's when I knew, well, there's got to be so many of these brains out there that I can be scanning, assessing, training, and optimizing. So that's what happened. That was the the switch. I ended up getting a really great position with this man at his hedge fund, which is a very famous hedge fund that I won't name, but it's a, a, there's been a TV show named after it. And I ended up getting recruited to scan all of their brains. You had this insider observation of, wow, what if I could scan brains at scale in some sense and I guess share the knowledge and insights? How did you translate that to a media platform or an education platform at scale where mm. you spend most of your time or predominantly most of your time on education? How did that transition happen? The great thing is when I first started studying, you know, my first undergraduate degree was in um, teaching. I was actually a mathematics teacher before I went and studied medicine. And so I generally have a knack for already just teaching people. And it turns out that medicine and the brain is a very hard concept for most people to understand. And I used Instagram. Um, I started Instagram back in 2014. So I was very, very, you know, fresh. I've been on there for a very long time and I've been educating since then. And this is mainly because um, I came to America. I'm born and raised in Australia, came to America in 2016. And I started working with athletes around that time. And they kept putting me out on the platform and they kept asking questions. So I just kept answering them. That's pretty much how it started. This is where I would love to actually just dive into mm. peak performance and the athletes you work with and the CEOs that you coach and guide on these topics. How did you decide what to start creating content oh. on? And then how has that evolved over time? But take me back to the first post you were uh, making. What were you posting about? Were they cringe? Were they not cringe? <laughs> if you look at my social media, it's pretty much a, a history of my mental health, really. That's what I say. It's actually so surprising. You can date back to like my very first ones. But you know what it always has been? It has always been a professional platform. There's never been images of me out with my girlfriends doing whatever it is. It's been very consistent in, in my professional work. And I knew from the get-go that I loved the intersection of neuroscience and human performance. I forgot to mention that I I come from an athletic background. So I raced for Australia. Um, I was a very 
very active triathlete. So I knew what it meant to perform at your peak already. I was training six hours a day. So I knew that then I had the medical insight. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to live at that intersection. And I loved mindset. I loved neuroscience. So I just kept posting. So my first posts were just, I was actually, you know what I did? I copied Gary V. I just kept copying whatever he did. I just copy it. I learned everything I needed to know. I was learning Final Cut, Canva, um, iMovie, whatever it back then in 2016, whatever it was, I learned it all myself. And I just spent 24 hours a day posting, 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 started posting on all platforms. I started a podcast in 2016. Good artists copy, great artists steal. I don't think yeah. there's anything wrong with actually learning from others out there. Yeah. And sounds like you did that. You took what worked and applied it. Was there any hurdle you had to overcome to start posting and sharing maybe vulnerable topics or maybe they weren't that vulnerable? But did you face any hurdle or obstacle there? Or was it pretty easy to say, wait, I have these insights, which I feel like I need to share with the world. And this is a platform where there's infinite reach and I create this content once it can, it can be watched millions of times. I distinctly remember in 2016, uh, when I started posting about the brain and the intersection of brain health and human performance. And this was back before anybody really understood, you know, on the, uh, you know, on social media really understood what is she talking about. And I did have many people discredit me saying, why don't you just focus on physiology or why don't you just focus on uh, strength training or this, why are you talking about the brain? No one really cares about that when it comes to elite sport. Long behold, 2023, a lot of people are really understanding that aspect. So I had a lot of pushback on social media. I had a lot of pushback because I'm a woman. I had a lot of pushback even getting to this country. I am Australian, so I had to seek out a visa. I've actually gone through so many hurdles to get to where I am today, but it's all been worth it. I love that. And with that, <laughs> let's start with one, one thing you first said there, which is that you were yourself were an elite athlete. You were a triathlete. And now you've taken those learnings, you've taught people at scale, and you're educating CEOs and athletes to get to peak performance. Yeah. Well, so my company, NeuroAthletics, we are primarily an education company. So we have a we coach coaches, generally um, health coaches, athletic trainers, physical therapists, and we guide them through a six-step principle with principles of human performance and we certify them. But we also work one-on-one -on -one with 20 of the world's best athletes. And when I say athletes, I'm also talking about non-executives too. So we've got uh, CEOs, we've got about 80% non-athletes uh, non and 20% elite athletes. Okay. Let's talk about peak performance, things you've learned and across the peak performers you've seen, athletes, executives, non-executives. Let's start at the beginning of the day. What are some commonalities or trends? Three things you see top performers do in the morning. The number one trend I see top performers do in the morning is they've planned out their morning the night before. So they don't leave things to guesswork. They wake up, they know exactly what they're doing. They know the time frame they're doing it in. Everything is super structured. That may seem really mundane to some people. And that's why there is not a lot of high performance at the top. So every high performer I see, whether it's an elite athlete or whether it's an elite CEO, they wake up. Most of them have their clothes ready to go on a chair or on a table. They get up, they get that. They've got half an hour to spend doing their morning routine. They've got 10 minutes to get to the office or half an hour. To get. So everything is so structured and it is minute by minute by minute. That's, I have to say across the board, that's the first thing I'm seeing. The second thing I'm seeing is they have crystal clear 
objectives, long-term and short-term. We call them set points at neuroathletics, meaning that you can set a goal, right? Oh, I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to make 20 million dollars, whatever. It's as if these individuals have got it down to a math meaning that everything is so structured to lead to that point. So their goals are set in stone and they achieve them. They're not just these words that they put out into the world. And the third most common trait I would have to say is they have an innate ability to move on, whether it's from a bad decision, a mistake, a a bad conversation they've had, something negative, a negative thought they've had. They've really got a a great way of anchoring their negative thoughts and just moving on from it. I think that that's key. That's something that I actually personally struggle with on a daily basis. I don't struggle with the waking, you know, I have my clothes there in the morning. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know my time. Some things I do struggle with is maybe focusing too much on, on things, dwelling. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I have to recap those for my own personal uh, personal education retention. But just to summarize, this crystal clear plan of the morning, where yeah. the morning actually starts the night before, but they know exactly, exactly what they're yeah. doing. Uh, the third thing you said was the ability to not dwell and to move on. And the second is this idea of set points or not just having goals, but working back from those goals. So it's just a matter of pure execution and if you're yeah. hitting the sub-milestones. Yeah, and a really great analogy um, would be, let's just say for argument's sake, their goal is to this day, you know, on Tuesday they want to walk 100 metres. They will know every how many steps it takes them to get to that 100 metres. They know how long it takes to, you know, every step, how long that takes, how much energy they need per step. So it's really, really finite. There's a lot of people who say that following X or Y morning routine isn't going to magically change you. And that there is something innate that's actually the root cause to changing. But at the same time here, it sounds like these folks do have their particular routine and it is rigid. Do you think that is the case that someone who maybe doesn't have one of these routines or sees someone out there who has a, I eat this and then I cold plunge, whatever it might be. If they just follow that, they'll see the effects or is there truly an underlying underlying cause or part of their psyche that they have to address first? If you believe that making your bed in the morning is going to make you more successful, then you're in for a rude shock. I don't believe that. I don't believe that actually this is, you know, probably bad to say, but these, I don't think that there's anything magical around what you do in the, like, if you have your ice bath in the morning, that's going to increase your success. If you have your sauna at night, that's going to increase your success. Actually, it doesn't. It's first and foremost, it's the work that you do and what you put in every single day that's going to get you the success at the end of the day, whether you find that work really daunting, really Um, energy sucking. The thing that I believe does work when it comes to these accessory items, such as the ice bath and the sauna, is when you're doing the work, maybe you have more energy to do it. That's what it's doing. And actually, this is quite widespread in academic research, especially in the medical literature right now. I'm currently writing a really fascinating review article. And basically, it outlines the fact that Exercise, for example, provides a very nice environment for the brain to flourish in other areas. So these activities of sleep, of exercise, of cold plunging isn't going to get you the success. It's actually going to provide you with the environment 
for you to do the work to achieve the success. Two-part question here. Why do New Year's resolutions fail? And let's say someone actually has that goal. They want to lose 10 pounds in the new year or whatever it might be. What are, or would you say, are the pillars of health and fitness? Mm. This ties to many things, right? Yeah. There's maybe the aesthetic portion, there's the strength portion, there's the brain. It has impacts on Alzheimer's too. So someone has that goal. How would you recommend them as a coach? This is how you should structure and set the goal. And then this is actually the plan I would give you to go out and do that too. There is no substitute when you're setting a goal, okay? You can't just write something down and just think that it's going to magically appear. There's no substitute for the hard work. And I also think there's no substitute for the why. So when we set goals at Neuroathletics with our clients, when you first come on, we have a very rigorous um, intake forms. We've got a very rigorous onboarding process, but we actually deconstruct the psychology of your goals. And long behold, a lot of these goals that people make in their heads, they don't actually really want it. It's just coming from what somebody else may have told them on Instagram. So the only way you're really going to achieve your goals, in my opinion, I don't even like that word goal, but in my opinion, it is having a strong enough why and having the education behind it. What I've noticed, and this is 10 years in my career right now, is education is the way forward for achieving absolutely anything. I will repeat that again. Education is the way forward. You can't build a property portfolio with, in my opinion, without understanding or having an education in the property space, let's just say, unless you really trust somebody and they're going to manage the money for you. But when it comes to health and fitness, you're different. You are different to every single other person. You cannot get your advice from Instagram solely. So you have to be educated enough to think, well, I want to assess my blood. I really want to know what's going on in my blood first and foremost. And maybe there's a DNA aspect. Um, that you have to address. So for anybody out there who's setting these audacious goals to achieve news resolutions that I just don't believe in, I would say think about why you're setting this goal first and B, how do I get about educating myself on this goal? I love how you said you have to put in the work. There are no shortcuts, but let's talk about exercise. What is a major mistake or something that you see people do where if they change this, 80% of the effort or results they'll see. You know, like majoring in the major versus majoring in the minor. When it comes to exercise, the biggest thing you see or the top three things you see that someone listening can implement and mm. start to see more rewards from the work that they're putting in. I think people focus too much on the, what zone am I doing? And what am I going to wear to the gym? And what class am I going to do? And it kind of gets them off mark. And what I see is compliancy, meaning whatever you can do every day is what matters, not so much the, the skill set or the what. So for example, if you don't like doing hit classes, but you think they're good for you and you would rather just go to the gym and maybe cycle for 20 minutes, it would be better off for you to do something that you really love because that's what's going to stick. So that's the first thing. Second thing is I do see people just, go, you know, I've, I've just brought on um, a new client, wonderful. He's a, um, he's a lawyer and he's a partner. He's around 55 years old and slams this, the hit classes every single day and is completely burnt out. But he thinks that that's the only way forward for him to achieve his goals. So for him, it would be just stepping back a little bit and focusing maybe just on aerobic zone two training. Again, you have to first know what you're optimizing for, but anybody, anything you can do for 20 minutes a day is perfect. One more question on exercise. You mentioned Alzheimer's before. Is there something that people can start doing now or maybe they don't realize they can start doing to help prevent, maybe not 
entirely stop but prevent or delay the onset of Alzheimer's? Such a great question because this is my area of research. There's many things that people can be doing. It turns out that even a minimum of exercise at 20 minutes a day can really offset some of these neurodegenerative disease states and prevent early cognitive impairment. We're seeing that minimum 10,000 steps a day. I would definitely say that if you live in Manhattan, like you and I do, you're definitely getting those those steps. Sometimes I'm getting 20,000 a day. Getting the 10,000 steps a day, focusing. If you had to focus your energy somewhere, it would be doing 150 minutes to 300 minutes per week of rigorous exercise. So that's where the, if you really want to be on that, I'm optimizing for Alzheimer's disease prevention, I would say sticking to that. And of course, three to four days a week of strength training, heavy strength training. If you're optimizing for weight loss, I wouldn't give you that, you know, or fat loss. That would be a completely different aspect. Everybody's optimizing for something different, whether it's performance, whether it's Alzheimer's disease, whether it's weight loss, whether it's a triathlon, you have to figure out what you're doing. That's why I hate when people get their uh, education from Instagram, except for mine. (laughs) because <laughs> I give out great education. But I mean, like it is not a, it's not a one size fits all. Everyone's different. What is another major pillar or thing that people can take away when it comes to how they could improve their diet or a major mistake you hear or see people make? A major mistake is prescribing to the carnivore diet or the plant-based diet. I would say stick to what you like first and foremost. Minimize processed foods if you can. 100% minimize alcohol. In fact, these high performers, another thing they have in common, I don't see them drinking alcohol. I actually don't. And I'm working with guys who are earning over 200. I've got one guy over $200 million. It's like, and he's not drinking. He's doing other crazy things, but he's not drinking. So you've got to really like think about this. Like alcohol is devastating to the brain and to the body. It actually, do you know what ethanol is? Do you know what happens when you drink alcohol? So what happens is you drink ethanol. It then gets broken down into acetaldehyde and acetaldehyde is poison. It literally kills and damages cells, especially the gray matter and the white matter of the brain. You age your brain. What does that mean? You don't have, you're not sharp anymore. You can't make the best decisions anymore. You can't react fast. So these are the things that we want, especially as high performers. So staying away from alcohol, evidently staying away from cigarettes. And then I would say some two little staples that I find are imperative. There is enough research to say that a lot of people should be, almost everyone should be supplementing with creatine. So creatine is the most widely studied supplement on the market, completely safe, completely effective for actually all ages. Doesn't matter what age you are, 12 years old, all the way up to 100. And this helps with cell energy metabolism. So if you want long lasting energy throughout the day, mentally get on the creatine. Second to that is I am a very big proponent of omega-3 fatty acids. I mean, there's just so much research to show its correlation to all-cause mortality. You know, there's been a lot of studies that have been done to show that you can accelerate your all-cause mortality. That's like when you die. Um, if you have a low omega-3 index in your blood. So supplementing with omega-3 fatty acids um, is really great as well. The other thing I do want to ask you about is when it comes to sleep. Is sleep more important than diet and exercise? Are they equally important? And how do people improve their sleep? What's the biggest hack? Or there's no hacks. You have to follow the regimen or the routine. But what's more important, sleep, diet, or exercise? And how do people improve their sleep? So I'm biased towards exercise being the utmost important. However, that doesn't mean you can get away with no sleep. Sleep is extremely, extremely important. Did you ask how do I optimize my sleep? Yeah, I would love to. I'm going to ask for you all your answers to these personally after, but how do you optimize your sleep? And then 
if someone out there listening, whether they're an athlete or they are a performer, CEO, non-CEO, they're a, a knowledge worker trying to optimize, what can they do to perform at their peak potential when it comes to sleep? Well, I love that. Like, so sleep fitness, right? Huge, huge field. You have to be going to bed at the same time every night. Weekends too? Yes, but I understand. I kind of had to change this. I understand we're not robots. We are humans. So if you're sleeping well 80% of the time, that's okay with me. At NeuroAthletics, it's lights out at 10 p.m. We want you to be getting to sleep before midnight, at least, you know, ideally 10 p.m. and then waking up at 6 a.m. In order to do that, we have to have a really nice sleep environment that is a pitch black room. I live in, as I mentioned, um, in the heart of Manhattan. There's a lot of light that comes through my blinds, but I notoriously sleep with an eye mask, so it's blacked out anyway. I have a cool sleeping environment. I do sleep on a temperature-controlled mattress, but it, look, it's freezing right now, so it's also a cool environment as well. I'm not having anything close to bedtime in terms of food, so I do cease from eating at 8 p.m. every night because I do go to bed at 10. And I do have a sleep stack like a supplement stack that I take, I'm consisting of magnesium L-threonate. When I'm having a really racing mind, um, I'm having GABA, gamma amino butyric acid. And I am having this other sleep solution, which helps actually with deep sleep specifically. It's called BioPro Sleep or Quarter Sleep, I should say. And they're great. Um, I give these to all of my CEOs. So that's what I'm doing sleep-wise. And funnily enough, I don't struggle with sleep. I go to sleep and then I don't wake up in the middle of the night. I don't go to the bathroom, anything like that. And then I'm up when my alarm goes off. Very cool. Sounds like from a supplement perspective, creatine, the omega-3 fatty acids. Yep. And is there anything in that sleep stack or it really is a sleep cocktail and you would recommend all of those together if someone's th saying, hey, I should probably, or I want to try out these new supplements? Yeah, definitely. Um, evidently, this is not medical advice. Uh, you do have to consult with your physician. However, they are, you know, pretty much staples in what we give as a sleep stack. I am a big believer that when it comes to work and when it comes to health, you sharpen your body to sharpen your mind. That means the two go hand in hand. You don't just exercise for the benefits you get during the one hour of exercise. You do it for the other 23. And the same thing applies when it comes to sleep. You don't just do sleep or sleep for the benefits you get during the eight hours. You do it for the person you are during the other 16. And that's why I don't view things like investing in the right bed or investing in my health as expenses. I view them as investments. And the eight sleep bed is one of the best investments I have made. Okay, yeah. I now would love to just learn about what you personally do. What does the first 30 minutes of your morning look like? Yeah, and arguably the most important um, to me because it sets my mood for the entire day. As soon as I wake up, I look, I'm a bit um, bougie in this aspect. I've got an ice bath in my living room. So I'm a very big proponent on cold water immersion. And that's the first thing I do when I wake up. I wash my face and I actually get straight into the ice bath. It's currently at 43 degrees. And I do that for a minimum of three minutes. And that is like having 15 coffees in one go. So that's the first thing I do. And then I have a balcony. I'm blessed. I, I go outside on my balcony and I... If I don't sit there because I've got some outdoor furniture, I'm just getting some natural sunlight, I get dressed and I go straight to the gym. There's no magic like I'm not praying in the mornings, I'm not meditating in the mornings, I'm not journaling, I'm literally 
I just put my shoes on and I get out the door. One thing I do, I have implemented, which has saved my life. I don't take calls anymore before 12. I don't take any calls. I don't allow, allow my assistant to put any, like it is blocked off for, uh, well, I go to the gym, but um, I just do whatever I have to do before I can even communicate with another person. How long is that typical initial morning routine from wake up to getting to the gym take for you? So I'm usually at the gym at, um, I go to the gym at seven. So I wake up at six. Yeah. When it comes to your diet, what have you found works for you? And what does a typical or ideal week look like? I'm a, you know, I eat everything. I subscribe to the everything diet. Um, I cook at home six nights a week. One night a week, I'll probably go out to be social. I don't drink. I do drink a lot of water, but there is nothing like, oh, one thing I do do actually is, I have 1.9 grams of protein per kilo of body weight. I won't reveal how much I weigh, but I'm, you guys can probably like, you know, do the math yourself. This is extremely important. I'm trying to preserve my muscle mass and ultimately trying to build as well if I can. Uh, we know that we get a natural decline in muscle mass and strength as we age. We don't want this, especially me as a woman. I don't want this. So I'm doing everything I can to optimize for that. So the only staple really is... Every day I'm like, where do I get my protein from? I'm getting at least 35 to 40 grams for breakfast, which is great. I do have protein shakes or a protein um, milk, whatever you call them, to help me out. So that's the only staple there. Now what I actually want to ask you is, I'm going to guess, or maybe you are an exception here, I'm going to guess you're not perfect. Even when it came to sleep, you said 80% of the time, you seem like you're pretty disciplined, you have the routines down, but maybe there's some mornings when the ice bath doesn't happen or like you're a little late for the gym or you sleep a little later. I know there, I guess there are some people who are exceptions here, but one, is that true? And then two, what happens if you fall off the routine? When you do miss days in any part in that process, what do you do? I practice getting over my myself. Pretty much like I, because I told you earlier on that sometimes my biggest um, thing is I do dwell. And because I'm so strict on myself, if I do have a bad morning, I start dwelling on it. So now I've practiced getting over it. So, and by the way, there are times when I will get up at maybe 3 a.m. and then I just will not be able to get back to sleep and maybe I'll fall back to sleep at 5 a.m. and maybe sleep until 8 and that has just like completely ruined it. But I try and compensate. So for example, when that does happen, I run. So then I'll put my, if I was, if I scheduled that day to go to the gym, I will, and I don't have time, I'll literally put my shoes on and start sprinting as much as I can for probably half an hour. No matter what happens, no matter how off my mark is, there is not a morning that I miss of exercise. Yeah, it's just, a, it's been embedded in me since I was a triathlete. The other topic or area on a breach is... I guess working is a type of fitness. A lot of people say that top knowledge workers are athletes in a sense, and you can use the same practices that LeBron James might use or anyone might use when it comes to work. When it comes to work specifically, let's say your full-time job isn't an athlete, but you're a knowledge worker, you're a business owner, you're leading a business, you're whatever you are in a company, and you're looking to improve there, what is something folks can do there? You talked about goal setting, and I think you you mentioned a personal practice of no meetings until noon or personal time then. but What's a productivity trick or tip you've seen someone do that works for these top performers when it comes to being a knowledge worker in work? I've noticed, so I actually put in something called exercise snacks. Have you heard what that is? No, but I'm very curious. It's uh, literally, we if you want improved energy, focus, and attention, you have to provide your brain with blood flow. And basically, some things that I, I do myself and get my clients to do is like a minute of vigorous, like, 
activity, whether it's at your desk, literally getting up, setting the timer, literally 60 seconds, whether it's push-ups, whether it's high jumps, getting your like body shocked and getting back into your seat, providing your, your brain with all this fresh blood can really help you in terms of productivity. Second thing that I do is I actually lock my phone up because if it's right there next to my computer, I can become addicted and start touching it and, and things like that. And then the third thing I'm doing, and I can't believe I'm admitting this, is my actual, my phone all day is actually on do not disturb. It's sad because like a lot, you know, I just get so many people that are like, look, there's something wrong with your phone. I allow my mother um, to bypass. Um, she's the only person in the world that can bypass that. And it allows just for people to not be able to text me or message me or call me. I don't think it's that weird. I actually, I do a very <laughs> similar thing and I end up getting a work phone and a personal phone. That's my, that's what I think I'm going to do. Yeah. And it, actually sometimes even the work phone is on do not disturb too when I'm really trying to work. But I don't think it's that strange or weird and it provides a separation. Okay, the other question I have to ask you is you talked the work that has to be put in. When it comes to, let's call it, work as a knowledge worker. If someone sees a triathlete and you mm -hmm. said, I train six hours a day, I actually didn't have a weird or negative reaction to that. I thought, okay, if you want to be an elite triathlete, there's mm -hmm. a lot of training. If someone says I'm training for the Olympics and I train eight hours a day, you think that's what you Normal. have to do. Yeah. If someone's working and they say, oh, I work 12 hours a day or 14 hours a day, you might think, well, you're a workaholic and what are you doing? My question for you is, how many hours do you think is optimal when it comes to work? And are there diminishing returns you've seen? And what have you actually seen from top performers when it comes to the volume of work that they can actually do and sustain? The question lies in, do you love what you do? For me, I could do what I do 24-7. And unfortunately, this doesn't sit well with um, friends. I, my friendship circle is extremely small because of that very reason. And the only cutoff limits are if you're really putting yourself into a negative overdrive. I don't know why we have this culture. I mean, it's everyone to like, what are you going to do when you're not working? Okay, you can spend some time with your significant other. That's really great too. And then what? Are you watching TV? You know, I would argue that why would you do that instead of working? But everyone's got a different, like if you, the thing is part of my work is researching. I write manuscripts, I write academic papers, and I love it. So in order for me to do that, I have to read a lot. I love doing that. So I, I can literally say I'm working 24-7. The only time I would say you have to really cut off is if it's interfering with your health, your mental state, or maybe your family life. But I don't prescribe to this, go to work for eight hours and leave. If that was my life, I would just really be unhappy. What does a typical week look like in terms <laughs> of hours? Oh, um... So I'm at my desk really at, oh, look, I mean, I also, I travel a lot. I feel like I've got a second home on Delta. So I travel a lot for work. I do keynote speeches. I see, I see clients. I see athletes. I go to games. It's part of my work. I couldn't even tell you in terms of hours. I do a lot of content. I have a team. So I'm probably maybe let's say 50, 60 hours. Yeah. For you personally, looking forward five years, 10 years, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the end game for you? What's your why in terms of what you're doing now and what is your goal going forward? I love doing what I do. I just love it. I love the work. I love the work more than the destination because every time I set a goal, I hit it and I'm like, oh, I'm here. The most exciting part for me is just being in control. I have full control of what I have. 
So when we, you know, if you bring money into it, everything I have is a direct result of my daily activities. It's not because I've gone to work for somebody and they've paid me a paycheck and I've saved the money. The harder I work, the more I earn, the more I earn, the more I own, I invest. I also get to live a beautiful life half here and half in Australia. I get to travel. Um, I do love traveling. My parents are from a little country called Cyprus. Uh, so I go there yearly. So it's, it's just the love of the work and the love of the game. If I had to ask you which of these four things at this point in your life is the primary motivator, it's obviously combinations, but to mm -hmm. force you to pick one, would you say it's money, power, pleasure, or fame? Money. And Definitely not power. Definitely not fame. I mean, if you had to pick, would you rather be really famous and broke or would you rather be extremely rich and have no one know you? It would be the latter. I'd rather have nobody know me. It's just unfortunately, you know, I have to speak um, and, and, and have a public figure in order to like get that money. So I love asking this contrarian question of what's something that you believe in that many other people disagree with you on? Could be within health and fitness, could be within work that most people just don't agree with you on, but you just fundamentally believe? Uh, if I had to really pinpoint it, it's a fact that I am a woman and maybe the amount of work I do is more perceived for a man. And I think that a lot of women in society are looked at to, you know, you shouldn't be working that much. Maybe you should just be home with the kids and with your husband and doing that type of work and just, you know, not being too powerful and not speaking your mind. And I think I generally get that. I think that's, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in this gender specific roles. I believe in if this is what you love and this is what makes you happy, then this is what you should do. Last couple of questions. These are some rapid fire ones. These are things I'm personally curious about. You said your cold plunge is like 15 coffees or 15 yeah. caffeine servings in the morning. Do you drink coffee? And if you do, how do you drink your coffee? I drink an almond cortado. Okay. What is yeah. a cortado? So, well, in Australia, it's called a piccolo. It's <laughs> literally, piccolo? <laughs> it's an espresso with some hot milk on top. It's a mini latte, actually. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I only drink that on weekends, though. I don't drink it during the week. Okay. So yeah. during the week, the, the cold plunge is the caffeine, and on the weekends, the almond cortado. Correct. Okay. What is your favorite cheat meal, your non-healthy meal that you like to eat? I could eat a block of dairy milk chocolate every single day. Did you know this actually? You know Cadbury chocolate? Did you know that Cadbury chocolate in the US and Cadbury chocolate in Australia, even though it's Cadbury, it's not the same chocolate? I did not. Yeah, because apparently some of the products within Cadbury chocolate, the one in Australia is so much nice. I end up coming back with like 10 kilos of it. The ones that some of the ingredients that they put in here in America can't go into Australia, something like that. So yeah. Wow. Next time I have Cadbury, I'll have to yeah. <laughs> figure out which one is yeah. worth the choose or is. I think a lot of people have a seminal moment in their life. I like to think of them as earthquake moments or life wasn't the same before or after. Yeah. What is a book that you feel was an earthquake book? Before yeah. you read it and after you read it, life just wasn't the same. It just hit you and wow, I you either wish you read it earlier or just had a forever lasting or impacting change on you. To be honest, it was a book uh, by Gary Zukev called The Seat of the Soul. I read this. Um, I actually, so I qualified for Beijing when I was a triathlete and I got hit by a car. I was literally slammed and squashed against a guardrail. And so my life instantly changed after that because um, I was no longer going to be a triathlete. Um, and so that was a seminal moment for me and it changed my the entire trajectory of my life. I forgot to ask this earlier, but I really need to know now. You were a triathlete before. You were training six hours a day. 
What does a typical weekly training cycle for you look like? You said you go to the gym in the morning, but yeah. what is your exercise routine right now? Yeah. So I um so Monday, Wednesday, and Saturdays, I train with a group and it generally is more of a strength slash hit. So we're doing everything from rowing to um, ergo bikes, like just for time, like um, what, are they, what are they called, AMRAPs, as many, whatever they're called. Yeah, it's like death zone, so that kills me, that slaughters me. Tuesday, Thursday is heavyweights. I'm generally hitting legs um, on Tuesdays, back and arms the other days. And Sundays, because it's my my day off, I do spend a lot of time at the gym just lifting heavy. Are you running at all? I believe you had some hokas. Are you still using those? Or how I love my hokas. Yeah, I'm also running as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Um, I actually, because I think it's like a mile to the gym, I run to the gym. Last question I want to ask is, in some senses, you're, you're, you're building a business, but you're also coaching and that's a business in itself. And what advice would you have for someone from a pure mindset or mental perspective that you think can motivate them, inspire them? Or if you had to put a billboard up that mm. everyone could see in that bucket, what would it say? I'd first ask them what their obstacles are. Sometimes these obstacles are just made up. And by obstacles, I mean my obstacle was literally the fact that if I didn't have a visa, I could not stay in the country. It was a legal requirement. I couldn't stay here for longer than 90 days. That was an obstacle for me. But if your obstacle is what will people think, then maybe this is not um, the right path for you because I got to tell you, entrepreneurship and building wealth and, and building a company and leading people, you, there is really no room for this notion of, oh, he, sh he thinks this, she thinks that. I literally am in a box in my own world and I, um, I'm not responsible for other people's feelings. I just do what I have to do. I used to be very much in that spot. So it would be figuring out what your obstacles are and maybe sitting down and journaling about it and figuring out what you need to do to get to where you need to go. Literally mind map it and score yourself out of 10. You can't have everything. You, you just can't. So you have to figure out, well, this is what I want out of 10. If it literally is a, a 9.8 out of 10, go for it. If it's anything less, just stay where you are. Final thing is if people want to learn more, I feel like we only got a glimpse into the knowledge and the education you're sharing. Where's the best place to find you? I hang out on Instagram a lot. Louisa Nicola underscore. I have um, my company's Neural Athletics and we have a really great weekly newsletter. It's the Neuro Athletics newsletter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you. Really looking forward to, again, uh, sharing this out with a lot of founders. And hopefully they learn something. I definitely learned it too. Thank you.